0: Symbol
1: of excellence in sports entertainment. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man?
0: I'm pretty good, Conrad. How you doing, buddy?
1: Man, better than I deserve. Excited to be here with you today.
0: Well, thank you. It's good to see you. I don't get to see as much as I'd like to.
1: I know, man, we, uh, we got to get the band together again. It's been a long time since you and I got to hang out in real, real life and kick back a few clear ones as me and Gene used to say, but it's going to happen <laughs> sooner rather than later. And in the meantime, we get to talk about some old wrestling and today is going to be a doozy, maybe the best ever war games. Certainly the last wrestle war pay-per-view from may of 1992 wrestle war 92. We've got this war games main event. People are still talking about Jim with the dangerous Alliance taking on sting squadron and before we clicked record and you said, Hey, which, what was the show on this one again, that we're talking about today. And I told (laughs) you it was uh, dangerous Alliance and sting squadron. And you said, oh man, that was Paul Heyman at his best
0: at his best man. Yeah. That was, uh, uh, thank God for this. Thank God that the, uh, war games was a hit because the undercard was not.
1: No, the undercard is, uh, a little less than, but boy, that main event really made up for it. Um, we looked at the previous WCW pay-per-view super brawl two back in February, and of course that's where sting won the WCW championship from Lex Luger. It wound up being Luger's final WCW appearance of that run. So let's pick up where we left off there throughout March of 92. There's lots of unwanted eyeballs on the wrestling industry as a whole. Of course, this is due to the steroid scandal and now the supposed ring boy scandal in the WWF. And there's just heavy national media coverage in newspapers and on TV. I assume, even though this isn't happening in theory to WCW, boy, whatever the WWF is going through, it just sort of trickles down to the rest of the industry. It's just a bad time for professional wrestling here, is it not?
0: Yeah, it is. It's just a black eye. Everybody suffers when you have those kind of, uh, issues, I suppose is a decent word. Uh, but when those matters arise, you just, you're gonna Everybody's gonna get a little shit on them. When you start slinging shit, you're brown, you're bound to get some stains. And, uh, so everybody was aware of it. who was most aware of it. I think probably was upper management. So how is this going to trickle down? Cause everything WWE does is so magnified and so important within the confines of pro wrestling. That, uh, it affects all of us. Uh, and I, I it's the same theory works Conrad and i said it here before that when, when WWE started, had all their success early on with the WrestleMania concept, it helped everybody. It created, a, uh, the a, a courage and the conviction to, for promoters to have super cards and, uh, everybody thought, well, you know, McMahon can do it. That was the, the ego. That's where the ego kind of came into play in a, in a good way. Or you got all these former wrestlers who are owning territories thinking, well, if that guy can do it, because I'm a wrestling guy and he's not, then I know that we can do it. So, uh, I, I think that, I think that it was just a eye opening time that, you know, we've got to pay more attention. We got to pay more attention. We got to address some of these lingering issues that the public has started to talk about. And, you know, it's same old deal with wrestling, you know, as well as I, that when you, uh. Uh, when the, things get negative, you you got to address them, and you got to take some heed that we got to make some changes. I've never been a big steroid. I'm not an advocate of people using steroids. If it hurts them, if they're under doctor's care, and they're paying attention to their health, uh, now I don't have any issues with it, as long as it's under doctor's care. But if you're going to go outlaw, and you're going to you're going to uh, diagnose yourself and dosages and supplies that ain't good that ain't good so uh that's kind of I'm, I'm sitting on the fence i guess it sounds like but if you're under doctor's care and you're taking you're taking care of your health all you're doing all your your blood tests and so forth then i don't understand the uproar it's just it's something else and it's another example of the fact that when we get this negative news it's just it, it's just a horrible thing because that's the only time we get the news. The only time wrestling got in the news is for some tragedy. Somebody got killed. Somebody died prematurely. Uh, steroid scandal. The, you know, I was uh, not in WWE until 93 and, and the ring boy scandal was long before I got there and I'd heard about it, the you know, the allegations thereof. But, uh, that was before my time there, which I'm really happy for, because that would have been a huge talent relations issue. Uh, and I would have preferred not to have dealt with that and thank God I didn't have to. So anyway, it was an interesting time for wrestling changes were coming. Changes were coming without a doubt. And, uh, but on this particular Sunday, we had a chance to produce a great show. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the fact that that main event delivered. And that's what you're always looking for. How did you close the show? How did you send the fans home? Were they happy? Were they satisfied? Did they get their money's worth? And I think on this night, and as we discussed throughout the show here, uh, it, they, they did uh, we delivered, they delivered, we delivered. I was on there too. So I, I was happy to be a part of that.
1: It's quite the show, man. Um, Let's talk about some behind-the-scenes news and notes as we get there, though. I love
0: the 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 behind-the-scenes stuff. I love the dirt, Conrad.
1: Oh, what's the dirt?
0: What is the dirt? My God, my boy, your cheeks are wonderful.
1: Uh, Terry Gordy and your boy, Dr. Death Steve Williams, debuted in WCW as a tag team on TV, at a television taping in uh, Anderson, South Carolina on March 9th. Uh, the observer would say, quote, they worked three matches that were taped, but none will air on television until May because they aren't coming in until June to work a program with the Steiners. The gimmick on TV is they're going to say they aren't sure if they're coming in or not. And that the Japanese interests are trying to keep them from coming in. When they do arrive, they'll be renouncing their American citizen- citizenship and talking about how great Japan is. And they'll both be billed as coming from Japan. I was told they looked phenomenal. I know that this is something you had to be all about your old pal, Dr. Death coming in with Terry Gordy. They're going to be a big addition to WCW in that tag team division. Are they not?
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Of course. They, they, uh, you know, they were big gets for us. They were, they were, uh, in re- recruiting terminology, they were five-star guys and that's the best you can get. Uh, so at least in my view, uh, so. Yeah, it was, uh, we wanted those guys, uh, they were new, they were fresh. They, they could, they could work with anybody and work very physically and very realistically again, going back to real, uh, so I'm a big believer that, uh, getting doc and Gordy was a major get for us. And, uh, you know, a lot of us wrestling, uh, crazy people, uh, I wanted to see the Steiners and doc and Gordy. Yeah, that's what I wanted to see. Uh, you know, as a fan, and I thought other fans would feel the same way once they got some television exposure. Because Doc and Gordy were two guys that they, we knew that the Steiners could not just completely dominate, and the Steiners here before had dominated everybody. That's right. So it it, 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 it it produced a good new match when it came about, and uh, you know, I, I thought that was one of our better uh, signings. And it wasn't easy. You know, you're dealing with the Japanese and they got dates they want to protect and so forth. And I understand all that. You never want to get into a situation where you're, you're creating a negative cash flow for your talents who have arrangements like that. You want them to make all the money that they can, as best as they can, uh, and, uh, and do it in a, in a timely fashion. But it takes a lot of communication and sometimes communicating with that office in New Japan or all Japan. Uh, was daunting.
1: So let's talk about some other news and notes here. Wayne Coulter, who I guess worked in public relations is fired. Right. Uh, I don't really know anything about Wayne. What can you tell us about his, his lot in life with WCW? What happened with his firing? It's pretty rare that you hear about somebody in that sort of position getting canned.
0: Yeah. I don't know exactly the political reasons behind the scenes that caused, uh, Wayne Coulter to get canned. Uh, he was a, you know, he's a guy that, uh, if the talents had appearances, he'd go out with them, you know, out with them, meaning he would accompany them to the event. Uh, he, he booked, uh, I know he, I think he helped booked us, book us on, uh, family feud when my little group was on family feud. Wayne Coulter was a guy that was with us, escorting us and taking care of the details. Uh, he was kind of a busybody, but you know, I don't how we all are a certain degree, I guess. But I don't know why, why he got canned. He, he, he was a little polarizing, to be honest with you. And, and, and he was in a tough spot because most often talents don't understand, you know, get your, get your ass in the hotel lobby on time. Let's go. And, uh, sometimes he would push the button a little bit there and offending talent, you know, that they were, they're tired, they're wore out and so forth. But, uh, Wayne did a decent job. No doubt about that. You know, I, I, I worked with him a lot.
1: So the Freebirds are going to give a 30 minute, seven song concert after the Atlanta Hawks basketball game on March 7th at the Omni, it was well received, particularly because the band was real strong. This is not something that I even ever heard about the idea that Michael Hayes was doing a concert at the Omni after the Hawks. <laughs> what in the world? Yeah. What can you tell us about this?
0: Well, it was just a you know local. Michael had Michael's always a abundance of ideas, creative ideas. Uh, that's why he's so uh, in, in uh, tenured at WWE right now. He's been there in that jackpot of a role for a long time because he's good at it. Uh, so Michael always had a way to help, and of course uh, his, his basically his ideas surrounded himself and the Freebirds. Uh, you know, and ain't nothing like going to seeing uh, Buddy Roberts and uh, Terry Gordy lip sync. You and I could have done that, you know, uh, so, uh, it was just a most promotional idea to to give it a shot and, and add a little extra sauce to the, uh, to the, to the brisket in Atlanta. And, uh, I don't think I went to that. I can't remember. I might've, but I I don't recall it. I remember us doing it. I remember being Michael's idea and, uh but it it worked out better than most people anticipated.
1: It's reported in the observer that Jake Roberts was backstage during the center stage taping on March 18th. Do you remember what those discussions were like? You know, we know that ultimately Jake's going to wind up coming in the WCW. His last WWF appearance would be a few weeks later at WrestleMania eight. Um, he had basically wanted to, to leave there, I believe based on I think according to Jake's testimony Vince had sort of promised him almost a Pat Patterson like position and it didn't appear as that was going to happen so Jake's also not going to have the best experience here in WCW at the time I think once he actually gets down here uh, Bill Watts has different plans for that contract that maybe he thought he was promised by Kip Fry but still he's here uh before the the jump is official was Jake Somebody you were excited to, to get back to business with, because you had worked with him way back when for Mr. Watts, right?
0: It, oh yeah. Uh, well, the answer is yes. Conrad, if he was clean and sober, that was, that's, that's always been the issue there.
1: Even back, Nobody, then. pardon me, even back then.
0: Oh, oh yeah. Especially back then. Uh, I think, uh, to, not to be argumentative. But I think, uh, if he was straight, clean and sober, he could help in a million ways, including working and booking. He had that good of mind. He still does. Uh, and I just saw him here a few days ago, a few weeks ago now. Uh, and he, he, he's still battling his breathing issues. Yeah. He's not in great health. And, uh, that's why you don't see him as often on, uh, on AEW television as we once were, uh, when he was, uh. You know fronting uh lance lance archer so uh but his health is not good and he's he's taking means to address it he's gonna he's still got surgeries left but he's got breathing issues and so i think that uh you know we want to pray for jake he gets better and and, uh gets back on his feet and roll rocking and rolling but if we could get jake uh, the good jake the the creative jake uh, and watts had watts knew Jake as well as anybody he helped create the character so uh, and he he was he used to hi, he hired Jake as a referee back when you know when Jake of course was Grizzly Smith's son and and uh, bill and Grizzly had a long relationship so bill kind of looked out for Jake a little bit in the early going but we're just worried about you know could he hold up socially to his role and that was always an issue and and cowboy just was a little behind times on salaries and he didn't understand why some guys were making this and, you know, and Ray Stevens only made that
1: back in the day. You know what
0: I mean? Uh, so uh, that's kind of how we looked at that situation, but if you, under the right circumstances and the level playing field, Jake Roberts would have been a, a tremendous acquisition.
1: So in the Observer uh, on March 30th we get this update. An update on Jim Crockett is that he wasn't technically fired, but was simply sent back home to Texas for reputedly being a disruptive influence. I believe that means he's still on payroll, but isn't involved in any of the major decision-making processes. An emergency meeting was held Monday to appoint someone to take over as head of booking arenas. What do you remember about the end of of Jim Crockett's run in WCW? Of course, famously. Uh, his family himself, I mean, he made the deal to go ahead and, and do this deal to sell his wrestling business over to Mr. Ted Turner, but he had a almost figurehead position for a handful of days. Yep. And then everything changed. I don't think it's exactly what he was promised. And it feels like it was just time, but I wasn't there. You were talk to me about it.
0: I don't think it was what uh, Jimmy was promised. Probably if you want to peel back the onion far enough. Yeah. Uh, and here's one thing I can say conclusively, uh, he didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve, uh, the treatment that he got and the cold shoulder that he, that he got, uh, in those, those, uh, waning days. Uh, and he was bitter and he was disappointed. And I think he had his buyers, uh, or sellers remorse to some degree. So, uh, but he didn't deserve the treatment that he got going out the way that he did. And, uh. You know, Jimmy Crockett was always very fair to me, uh, and paid me very well without any batting an eye. Here's what, here, you know, here's what I to. Here's what you need. Here's, here's what I need. Here's what I'd like to have. And he said, well, you got it. I should have asked for more, I guess, you know, be greedy. Uh, but he did, Jimmy didn't deserve the closure that he had. No doubt about that.
1: It's also in the Observer in April. Quote, there are a lot of shakeups on Monday, March 30th in the hierarchy of world championship wrestling. Bill Shaw, the head of personnel at Turner Broadcasting and a member of the Turner board, has replaced Jack Petrick as president of WCW and top overseer. Officially, Petrick is said to be no longer in charge of the wrestling company because he'll be working full time on a 24 hour cartoon cable channel that Turner is in the process of putting together. Shaw then appointed Bob Dew. Who runs the Omni Arena uh, to be the executive overseer of the company, which would be the person that Kip Fry reports to. Can you tell us what you remember about the appointment of Shaw here?
0: I wasn't a big fan of that, uh, because I didn't like Bill Shaw. I still don't like Bill Shaw. I think he's a con man. He's uh uh he's Andy Griffith in in Wolf's clothing. Uh I don't know how forthright and honest he was all the time. Uh, so I didn't get along with him well. I had an interview with him about uh, getting the job there to run the company. And, uh, he was just very dismissive uh, of the, of the, of the genre of pro wrestling in general. And, uh, he told me that, uh, well, I remember one of his famous sayings to me, he said, you know, you're, you take this too seriously, uh, and you care too much because, you know, let's be honest about it. Uh, Donald Duck could announce wrestling. So, okay, that's what you think about my work or all other guys, in my roles work. And that's basically what you think about the product. It's a joke. As long as you have that attitude, this son of bitch, ain't going to fail the way it's running. You got things have got to change. And it did change when Eric came along to Eric's credit. But, uh, I, I never liked Bill Shaw, but he was, uh, at the right hand of the man. Ted Turner loved him. He'd been with Ted for years and years. They just, they, all the growth all the, uh, in, increased incomes and so forth. Bill Shaw was right there in that, that debate and that conversation, he just didn't treat me like I wanted to be treated. And that sounds horrible. And, uh, and so be it, if it does, if that offends anybody. But for somebody to say that, you know, Donald Duck could announce wrestling was a little bit slap in the face.
1: No doubt. Were you sad to see Petrick go?
0: Well, we never saw him. Uh yeah, Jack was a nice guy. He was a herds buddy from St. Louis. Uh but he was a decent human being, no doubt about that. Uh but we rarely saw him. You know, the, those guys in the upper management group didn't spend much time with, around the boys. So they were never going to le- have the product knowledge that they needed, and they didn't understand the talent as much as they should because they, they didn't know them. They weren't around them. They didn't know their customers. They didn't know their clients. And uh, that's not a good that's not a good formula for success for a, anybody in those roles.
1: Did you have any interaction with Bob Dew at all? Oh yeah, yeah. Bob Dew was a party guy.
0: And Bob Dew, if you couldn't find him in his office, you knew where he was. He was either having a happy hour or playing golf. And uh, you know, he he was re- managing the Omni, just across the parking lot from where we were. And he had, he was a buddy of uh, a. Shaw and those guys, uh, but Bob was a fun guy to be around. He just, he had a hard time establishing his, uh, priorities. He liked to party and, uh, you know, he's his daughter's a great, was doing great guns at that time. Laurie do she was a national news correspondent. Uh, she might've been on T- on CNN. I'm not sure it probably was at one point, but unless she went on to do bigger, bigger things, even so, uh, he had a interesting, uh, Situation there in Atlanta, but he was a party guy, and uh, and he's another one that I don't know how much he knew about the product. He, even though he was managing the building that wrestling ran regularly, doesn't mean you'd understand the product. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about.
1: Let's talk about April 4th. It's the day before WWF presents WrestleMania eight. And we've got the six Oh five Saturday night, TBS show world championship wrestling, it's going to be rebranded as WCW Saturday night. And all these years later, people are still talking about Saturday night, but this is when it happened uh, 30 years ago. How about that? Yeah. Uh, There's also a new format to the show and boy, this isn't always a good change. No, Instead of it just being a strictly wrestling show. With the interviews and promos related to that. Now we have a good portion of the show that's presented like a talk show. Yeah. What'd you I think hated of that? It.
0: Hated it. Hated it. Uh, that's not what the fans came to see. They, they came to see wrestling. And again, here we're trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, and it made no sense. It was change for change's sake. And that is never a good reason to change how you do business or how you conduct business. Just let's just do something different. Okay, why? And and what and is what we're doing differently going to be better than what we're currently doing or what has been the precedent. And so I didn't like that at all. I just, you know, is yet we had to have guests that could talk and put sentences together, and and again, they didn't understand what was going on. They didn't understand the wrestling business. They didn't know the right things to say. So I was not a fan of that format
1: whatsoever. It's uh it's just a lot different uh who's who's involved in making these changes i mean
0: kip fry, I, kip fry made that one okay that was kip's idea to, to, to rebrand rebuild reboot uh his concept and kip fry was never a wrestling fan but he liked entertaining talk and things of this nature so that's what we got and oh, uh,
1: and in that era the talk show format was really popular you know you had some some big time shows that, you know, the, the of the world, the Sally, Jesse Raphael, I mean, the Oprah Winfrey, you could go on and on and on. And then you even had, you know, some blowhards in there. I mean, it was, I could see why someone would think, Hey, this could work. Uh, and right. that's, that's what a lot of times entertainment is. You're just trying things and we'll do more of what works and less of what doesn't, and this one just didn't work. And as a result, the format didn't last all that long, but in the weeks leading up to wrestle war, some of your co-hosts. Because it was your show of course but you got rotating co-hosts every week where kip allen fry uh bill fralick jason hervey and then you know along the way we had some other guests too like parts of the band from alabama and it's just a little bit of uh yeah a bad idea we're trying to stretch a little bit
0: yeah we're just trying to salvage it you know yeah. and, and- uh, it all, it all, it was guest oriented. So the better the guests were, the more entertaining they were, the better chance this format had had to succeed. But it was just hard to pull off. It's really hard to pull off. And, you know, I, I like doing energies. I like doing sit down interviews as much as I'd like doing play by play. I wish I could do more of them and I wish I was doing more of them. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, it was just it, it, as a talent, it was hard to Pull off and, uh, it should not be that hard. It should be more fun, more flowing because you never knew what your guests were going to say. It, w- it was just a matter of, and you're on television. Now we're not doing a podcast here. Like you and I are, cause we don't give a shit, right? It's our show. It's our network, so to speak,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it was, it was hard, man. It was, it was a hard format to do and not a show that, whereas at one point I'd look forward every week to going to center stage or wherever it was. And doing the Saturday night wrestling show, uh, I, that kind of left me a little bit, it just wasn't fun to go to work on that format. It was just too hard to unpredictable.
1: Is this the most unorganized? you remember WCW being up to this point?
0: Uh, yeah, it was right there with it. I don't know. Uh, there may have been a time or an interval of time that, uh, we could make an argument for this question, but I can't recall anything. that was even, there was more, uh, unraveling than what we. Or experiencing.
1: So, Jim, during the Build a wrestle war we really see the Dangerous Alliance come to a uh, become a top heel faction. And you know, we've talked about this on some of our other podcasts, but just tell us again what you thought of the combination of Rick Rude, Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, Larry Zabisco, Steve Austin, Medusa, and Paul E. Man, what a badass group of heels.
0: Yeah, it's just too bad none of them could work.
1: Uh,
0: getting, uh you got, a uh, you got an amalgamation of talent all put together, hoping that the, uh, combustible ends will be able to, you could coexist with them. Uh, I've, uh, I've always said, and I believe this to this day, that the dangerous Alliance was one of the most underrated factions ever in pro wrestling. So, uh, I, I love the, uh, that presentation, uh, Good old Paul Heyman was at his young, spiteful, crazy best, a great promo guy. And it took so much pressure off the other talents that, you know, we're going to, we got a three minute promo segment here and Paul will start and Paul will finish. Or it's just Paul going to do the interview and you guys jump in when you find an opportunity or if you choose to. So it gave the talents some flexibilities and some, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the chance to ad lib, uh, embellish, so forth. But they were a great group, man. There was not one guy in that group. And I was being obviously extremely facetious. All those people could work. All those people, uh, Medusa added a lot to that group. And, uh, Larry Zabisco was thought to be, you know, kind of washed out. He wasn't, he wasn't, they weren't doing anything with him. So this was a Haman uh, assembly. And I think Paul had a whole hell of a lot to do with, uh, uh, who he, who he was going to manage and who was in the group. And the guys in the group had confidence in Heyman that they were saddling their horse, you know, to the, they're hooking their wagon to the right guy. So it was, uh, I love that group. I really did. I wish we had time to see more of them, but you knew that, uh, that there were so many individuals, potential individual stars in it that it was, you couldn't sustain it for long periods of time. But let's get all we can out of it while we can.
1: So on the, uh... April 12th show at the Omni. Sting is going to suffer a cracked rib and a bruised sternum against Big Van Vader. Mouncer would make note no word on how long he'll be out of action for certain, but as of Monday night, the estimates were from two to four weeks. If it's closer to the latter, they'll most likely run an angle at the TV tapings Tuesday night at center stage to explain as being out of action. Nikita Koloff will be moved into the main event spot against Vader at the house shows until Sting can return. And the talk is that they'll acknowledge the injury as soon as Saturday morning on TBS. So before we talk about Nikita, we've talked about how much you and I loved big Van Vader's work, but man, when you hear that he's injuring an enhancement talent, well, that sucks. And you hate to hear anybody ever get hurt, but Lord, when he's hurting the franchise, does that change the way we approach all of this? Do you think
0: a little bit sure has to. He has to. And uh, you know, Leon just was very physical. He's a four hundred pound guy that believed he was two hundred pounds. And, you know, four hundred pounders should not be doing moonsaults. salts. Uh, it ain't cool. And things of that nature too, as I'm trying to put my words together here. He was just a he was just a brute. And he had to bring bring her back a gear. And he didn't want to do that. You know, he thought that would affect his markability. And there the Japanese thing comes back into play. He didn't want the Japanese to see a, a softer, kinder, gentler version of Vader, and then him get their big money to go back over there and, 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 and kill people. So, uh, yeah, it was a hard, uh, we had a lot of talks and, you know, and I always try to talk to Liam like I was a coach and build him up instead of tearing him down, whereby a lot of the other guys, the, on the, the booking committees and so forth, uh, would just rip his ass. And that was not the way to motivate Leon Uh, wasn't, you know, uh, I, I I tried to kill him with kindness and maybe even make him feel a little guilty that he's hurting people. So, uh, but, but he was just, that was his style, man. And, And everybody couldn't take those beatings like Stan Hansen did. Right. And so that was one way of putting it anyway.
1: So Koloff's brought back to WCW in March after being out of wrestling, largely since August, uh, saving sting in a, in a post super brawl press conference from the dangerous Alliance. W- what do you think about Nikita Koloff? I mean, I loved his work in JCP, but it does feel like when he came back here in WCW, it just wasn't quite the same.
0: Well, uh, I love, uh, Nikita as a human being, my God, he's a great guy. He's doing great things now in his church and things of that nature. Uh, a good man, uh, but I, I thought that we never recaptured his mojo, uh, after his, uh, run with, uh, Crockett and dusty Rhodes did more to help Nikita than, than the world will probably ever know. Uh, so that was, but nobody got Nikita over like dusty did. And, uh, maybe that was dusty's rub. I don't know, but, but it just. We never recaptured that magic. And I don't know who you, who do you, we're going to blame somebody. I don't know who we're going to blame, but, uh, it was just, wasn't meant to be at that point in time. And maybe the, the balloon was off the rose, as they say, but we didn't do a good job to take responsibility. We didn't do a good job, Conrad, of repackaging Nikita and getting him back over to the near the level that dusty had him. We didn't do that. We didn't, we didn't accomplish that goal.
1: He would unfortunately, of course, have to retire from wrestling later in the year due to a herniated disc in his back. And he's one of the the few people, the rare breed that actually stayed retired. Uh, here's a note from the observer. As far as the Jake Roberts rumors are concerned, I do know there's been talk, but I don't think there are any deals finalized as of yet. It depends on how his contract situation with the WWF most likely, uh, Jim Ross was hinting on the power hour about the snake watch on the 900 number. Talk to me about this old WCW hotline. Are, are you controlling everything that happens in, in the weekly slots on the schedule or other people in charge of that? Uh, do you know what you're going to be talking about? Just talk to me about how that WCW hotline was ran back in the day. I
0: really never understood, uh, the organization of the hotline. It, it was kind of a free for all, be honest with you. Everybody had their day. Nobody knew what the other guy was going to talk about on their days. It was still cons. No, uh, production meeting once a week to, okay, Jr. You talk about this and, and, uh, you know, this guy talks about that. It was never that organized and, uh, unlike, I know when Gene Oakland came to WCW, he was a big part of that, uh, organizational aspect of the hotline and, and Gene was motivated because he got a percentage. He got a commission. Uh, I don't know that anybody else on the, on the team that was doing the hotline and before gene came got paid. And I had the, the, we'll never know how much money was made on that 900 number. I know my day was hot, the top day. Uh, I think I was on Saturdays and, uh, you know, uh, 1, 909, 9900. And there you go. So, but it was, it was a, it was a quasi organized calamity that made money in spite of itself.
1: so on april 27th we would see this in the observer kip fry said he's going to have some real improvements and in interest in the product during the mid-june to mid-july period when the groups run two pay-per-views and a clash to put that into context the three-month build from super brawl to wrestle war there are no pay-per-views and clashes in between so all the hype is on the weekly tv shows but then in just a three-week period in june There's going to be a beach blast pay-per-view on June 20th, a clash of the champions just two days later on the 22nd and a great American bash on July 12th. So two pay-per-views and a clash inside of three weeks. I don't know why he's bragging about this. This doesn't seem like logical. I don't know. Calendar management.
0: It was a way to generate new cash cash flow. So, you know, it's hard to believe or to understand that. We needed the money and uh, the, the, the company, the division needed the money to help meet payroll and, you know, we're losing, we're bleeding money. So that was a way that you could get a quick fix, so to speak, uh, uh for, for a new, uh, uh, operating capital. It wasn't a good idea. I would never have done it, but I understand why they did it. It was all about the cash.
1: Is there a shift in thought process regarding putting these types of shows so close together? Because it's not something that we saw before this. Uh, and I understand what you said about, Hey, we're trying to generate new cash, but Lord, you didn't give yourself a lot of time to really build interest in between these shows. Conrad, um, I
0: can't, I can't, I can't defend it. I can't right. tell you that. It, well, it, here's the deal, Conrad, you're not understanding this. No, you understand it all, but the, 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 the they super they. They checkmark the new capital or potential capital more than anything else. The only way that that format was going to work, Conrad, was if you book the last event now and book backwards, so you're building to something that the fans can anticipate, whether it be the Great American Bash or whatever. But that takes a combined team effort as far as Creative was concerned. And that was not always the case as you and I know we've talked about many times here, the dysfunctional WCW was not a fun place to be, but it was a job.
1: Let's, um, let's talk about cowboy for a minute here. Is this around the same time where you start hearing, Hey man, maybe Bill's coming to work or how do you first hear that? Hey, that might be a real possibility.
0: Hey, I didn't know cowboy was coming to Atlanta until he got there. He didn't run it by, he didn't run it by me. Or what do you think? Or here's what I'm thinking. Uh, you know, now once he got there, uh, he, we were joined at the hip for better or for worse, and sometimes it wasn't for the better. Uh, but I didn't, he kept it. He kept it kayfabe. He didn't tell anybody that I'm aware of, not in my circle. And if anybody would have known, I think maybe I would have been one of the leading contenders or have that inside information, but I didn't have it. So he got to Atlanta and, and uh, it was a complete surprise. Everybody, when I said, I didn't know he was coming. Looked at me like I was a liar. Uh that's impossible. No, some guys just observed the cafe. Watts was told not to say anything about it, and he did. He followed the mandate of the upper management, and that's what we got. So I didn't know he was even coming in. It was a huge surprise to me that Bill came to Atlanta and got me. more than anything, I, I was surprised that he he had the willingness to get back into pro wrestling. Because I know when he left it, he was burnt completely out. He was he was uh burnt ends as you and I might order at a barbecue restaurant.
1: Let's talk about something else. That's going to uh, hit the news, uh, April, I'm sorry, May 4th, David would write this and the latest in the legal action regarding the WWF WCW executive president Kip Fry confirmed that the company has filed a lawsuit against Lex Luger for a violation of their contract release agreement. Fry said the wording of Luger's contract and his release, which Fry himself put together is confidential. However, Fry believes Luger and the WWF have gone way over the boundaries of what was allowable in the release by regularly appearing on WWF television shows, even if it is to supposedly promote the WBF TV show rather than the WWF. Luger was under contract with WCW through March of 93 and is working for Titan sports in the WBF division until he's legally allowed to work in the WWF as a wrestler. Of course, we all know this is a workaround. This feels like, uh, I don't know the right action from WCW. Were you surprised to see that Luger and Vince were still doing what they wanted to do, just maybe getting a little cute with it?
0: Well, I wasn't surprised about Vince doing that because that's his mindset. You know, he's, he's one of those guys that will do something and then apologize later. Okay. Well, we'll not do that. Uh, so uh, I didn't ever have any negative feelings about Luger because I knew Luger was just a pawn in what was going on. Right. This is this is Vince's deal. And the fact that Kip Fry, who was a very uh he was a Duke, uh, lost Duke graduate, a real good law school, and Kip was a good lawyer. So and he actually was a, as he said in this statement, he drew up the deal. And so he knew all the ins, the outs, every dot, the periods, the commas, all the whole on yards. Uh, but it was just a it was a way to skirt the the the, the law, so to speak, and the agreement. And I don't, you know, to be honest with you, I, I don't know. I would not have died on that hill if I were Kip, be honest, be honest with you. I just, because I don't know that uh, it mattered with Lex. I just did not know if it mattered or not, uh, quite frankly.
1: So let's talk about uh, May 11th. Hercules is going to be coming in as the super invader. He's going to start a TV in Saint Pete, managed by Harley Race. He's going to be given a major push, according to Dave Meltzer. But this is just—I mean, listen. I loved Hercules. Uh, we're actually talking about him tomorrow on something to wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Um, but man, this super invader run under hood. I mean, I love Harley race too, but it just doesn't feel like Hercules. what do you think of that presentation?
0: It was too old. It was dated. I thought, uh, you know, uh, Ray Hercules, uh, Hernandez or Fernandez. Maybe it was, uh, was a friend of Cowboys. Cowboy liked him. He's a tough guy. And he had a nice run in uh, uh, mid South. You go back and look at that, that stuff. He had a, he had a run there wearing a mask. At, Different points because you know, his body was just f- f- phenomenal. The cowboy had those experiences with him, and that's how. And a cowboy loved Harley. Any Booker that didn't love Harley Race was, you know, insane. So I think that's why that was tried, and you just hope to capture lightning in a bo- bottle, and maybe uh, uh, the guy the gimmick gets over. So, but obviously that didn't occur.
1: It had to be hard for Hercules. I mean, you had worked with him back in mid South, back in the day. And, and obviously he had quite the run with, with WWF at the time, but this is just, uh, less than creative, but, uh, unfortunately we're no longer big believers in Todd champion P and news, Thomas rich and Ellie Gante. Meltzer would say they're all history among others, some big cuts here. And of course. Once upon a time, PN news and elegante got really big pushes out of this group. Was there anything left to try with these guys or was it just time?
0: I think it was just time. Connie, this, they weren't ready. They weren't ready for that level. And that, that level of exposure, uh, Eligante was going to be a long shot at best from the get go. Again, you, it's hard to train somebody that has no product knowledge, has no feel for the game. And, uh, you know, big George was a basketball player. And he was not, he didn't grow up as a wrestling fan. Hell, he didn't know, you know, I, God, I remember I had promo class with him. That was Jr. We want you to work with Ellie Gante on his promos. Was, okay. So, uh, the best I could get out of him was this Ric Flair. I kill you. Okay. George, we can't murder people now in wrestling. We're not going to do that. So he, he, but he had that thought in his mind, Ric Flair, I kill you. Well, it would have killed flair to work with the son of a bitch. I can tell you that right now. Cause, uh, he was not at Flair's level, uh, or nobody else was either for that matter, but, uh, George was such a sweetheart of a guy. He didn't have a mean bone in his body. And right. so to get a, a monster heel that doesn't have a mean bone in his body, it's not a good fit, but I think that we did all we could do, uh, because. George elegante was not getting better. Right. And that was the problem. So, uh, so I think that we made the right call on that one. It's unfortunate. You don't want ever see anybody lose or lose their job. Uh, but all those guys you mentioned, I just think they're time to
1: come. So let's, let's mention something else that really shocked me. I didn't, I didn't know this lightning kid is getting a tryout on May 11th. They're doing a TV taping there at center stage. Of course we know lightning kid is the, the working, the professional name of Mr. Sean Waltman. It's a whole year later until he gets his big break with the WWF, but man, how great would he have been in that light heavyweight division? I just imagine him and Brian Pillman could have been tearing it up here for you guys. They
0: could have, they could have, you know, Sean had a little baggage with him, you know, his reputation, whether it deserved or not to the degree that it was, uh, was a little bit of an issue, but there was never an issue regarding sean waltman's ability to to, to have a match there's a great match and you're exactly right uh you know when you when you bring somebody in you bring them in with a booking or two in mind of guys they could work with that might help you and uh we all knew that you know there's a chance that sean waltman and brian pillman would be having matches that would be he would be talking about for a long time uh but sean was always been one of my favorites and uh he still is to this very day you know i i think the world of him and he's one of the bright minds in wrestling. You know, I said before, when Scott Hall passed away, that it's just a damn shame that some company didn't take advantage of Scott's booking Ackerman and, uh, find a spot for him to contribute. Maybe it's just a one talent or two talents or whatever. Uh, uh it, but he had a great, a brilliant mind and I compare, I put Sean Waltman in that same category, Conrad, even to this day, uh, very, very creative mind that you can't replicate. You either got it or you don't.
1: So May 12th, which is five days before wrestle war it's announced that bill Watts has been hired as the vice president of wrestling operations for WCW and the observer would have this to say, and an announcement that came as a big shock to everyone. Turner broadcasting announced Tuesday morning, the hiring of bill Watts as vice president of wrestling operations. Watts duties will be to take control of all aspects of the wrestling side of the business, and he will report directly to Bob Dew. The wrestling executive committee, which is dusty Rhodes, Jim Barnett, Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, et cetera. will all report directly to Watts. Kip Fry's role will become the vice president of business affairs for world championship wrestling with his main duties in the field of marketing, syndication, and media sales. Watts had a Tuesday morning meeting with the executive board and outlined some of his ideas to turn the company's lagging house show business around what this means for the future is uncertain. Watts has a rep for being strong-willed and a perfectionist in getting across believable angles and building, developing, and most importantly, getting over new talent. Those are the aspects the company has been deficient at. Expect slow but noticeable changes at the top of the cards, but who and how is hard to predict. On the downside, Watts hasn't been involved day-to-day in pro wrestling since 1987, and this business is almost another world from the business it was five years ago. There are concepts that worked and drew big money in the past that the reality of the times no longer allows. The business is built on pay-per-views for the biggest money, but at the same time, the group is still running full house show schedules, and no doubt Watt's primary duty is to turn those house shows around. When Watts was having his, financial, uh, his successful house runs, pay-per-views didn't even exist. Watts also has formidable national competition in Titan Sports, something that existed when something that existed when he was running his territory. But for the most part, Titan never drew big money in Watts cities that Watts was still regularly running. So let's just take a timeout right there. Dave's painting a picture here that man, the business has just really evolved. And I think ultimately, I think that's where everybody landed, but did you think that coming in, did you think Watts had what it took to be successful or did you think, man, he's been out of the driver's seat for a while. I don't know about this call.
0: Well, I was a little leery, you know, I love bill. He bill got my start in the business and I'll always be thankful and loyal uh, for that. He recently had a birthday, uh, the big cowboys in his eighties. Now living there in the Ozarks. Uh, and you know, we communicate from time to time more, not as much as I should. And I feel guilty for that to be totally transparent. Uh, and, but that's the nature of the wrestling business. You know, you get these great people in your life. And then like a lot of things, other aspects of life, you don't communicate with them enough, uh, you don't, uh, interact with them enough. It doesn't take a long call or, a, or it could be a text or whatever, but communicate with these people that have helped you along the way. Uh, but I was worried about bill adjusting and I was worried about him sh- self-destructing because he was hell bent. He was going to be his way or the highway. He's going to pay you what he wants to pay you, or you can leave. It was just no, no, a lot of gray area of the cowboy. And I didn't know how that's this generation of wrestlers were going to react to him. Uh, he could not manage like he did it in mid South, for example. Uh, he thought he could, but you, you have to change with the times, you know, it's like now I can tell you that, you know, uh, AEW has been in the business for a little over three years, I think, uh, yeah. And, uh, he. You can't manage this group of talent. Like you did that, that WCW talent. It just changes as the generations go along. Kids are raised differently. They have different interests. They have different ways to, that they can be communicated with that. They can turn that communication around and something to be productive. So I was a little worried about him adjusting to that and how he was going to communicate with the talents. I never thought, and I told him this, you can't heavy hand these bastards. You can't go in there and, and, and bull your way in because you're the boss. Uh, so, uh, but, so that concerned me a little bit, you know, could bill catch up with the times on that in the aspect of communicating with these, this, this group of talents, this generation of talents, more specifically.
1: The two lines that Dave wrote about this, that I think, man, wind up being pretty prophetic Watts was also was also always an autonomous leader. And now he'd be a part of a corporate structure and a corporation which knows little about the nuances of the wrestling business. So let's just pause right there. But man, that's telling you a lot about Watts. And it's also telling you a lot about Turner that Turner corporately doesn't really understand the nuances of the oh, wrestling business. Never did. And that's going to be a tough spot when he's no longer got all the power, he's got to fit in here. But at the same time, Dave's pretty, pretty plain about saying these guys don't really know what they're doing. So in addition to that, he writes this when Watts was producing those television shows, he was either putting together one hour or later, two hours of TV per week, which frankly is much easier than trying to put together six hours. So you're going to crank out three to six times the volume now in a corporate structure, whew, this is a tall ask for anybody, not just bill, right?
0: Yeah, well, it, I think the key thing he said there is that it, is it, it once again, underscored the lack of product knowledge that those in WCW had on pro wrestling. Yeah, they didn't respect it. Uh, you know, they looked at, uh, the wrestling division as kind of like the, uh, uh, redheaded stepchild to use that old expression. Uh, and that's kind of how, that's kind of how it was every day there. Uh, but th- th- I was, you know, I look, I was hopeful that bill would be successful, I was thinking, well, maybe he will see how best to communicate with these talents. The one thing that a booker or a creative person has to be able to do is to communicate with the talents. And that doesn't mean to say hello, and I know your name, and, you know, no, it's it's a whole process. And, uh, and sometimes, Bill's, you know, I, I always said the same thing about McMahon. You want to converse with these guys, not confront them. Cause are alpha males. They're not going to take your confrontation very well, whether you're right in what your point may be or not. So, uh, that was cowboy style. And, you know, you just hope and pray that, well, maybe he will see that he has to change a little bit to get the results that he's desiring. Will he do that or will it be my way or the highway? And unfortunately for bill, as it worked out, it was the latter, my way or the highway. And he, he was. It was him against the world, so to speak. Uh, he he wasn't calling the shots. He he had complete autonomy in Mid South. Obviously, he did not have that here, and that was a major major adjustment that Bill really never got over.
1: Mouser would say, knowing the background of Watts, some things are probably not unfair to expect. More discipline expected amongst the wrestlers. More pressure on the wrestlers to keep the work rate up at house shows. Certainly, a strong statement has been made not only about no showing. Meaning an automatic $2,500 fine, but even ar- arriving late, which is a thousand dollar fine on the first offense, $2,500 on the second offense, probably more hardcore angles, more blood, definitely more swerves, certainly more unpredictability on the TV shows and big shows. Is this going to be a positive on paper? It should be obviously when comparing bill white's knowledge of the pro wrestling industry to that of a Jim Hurt or Kip fry, there is no comparison. I I think that's something everybody listening to this probably has heard about that boy Watts ran a tight ship, so no shows and, and, and fines. And here we go. Right?
0: Well, yeah. And, but the only thing that was going to get anybody's attention, Conrad in that world is take their money. What are you going to do? You got to write me a theme. You gotta get on the blackboard and say, I will not be late a hundred times. Uh, all you're asking guys to do is come to work on time. I don't find that to be uh, uh, abusive or abrasive. Come to work on time. This is your job. And, you know, they're asking the guys to get to work an hour before the show. I believe that's what it was. And so there's no excuse to, to be tardy on a regular basis. So what do you do to stop that? Well, you, you, you penalize them. So what's the best way to penalize the talent? Unfortunately, it's to find them or fire him. I, right. uh, if I have a talent, I'll take the fine and not to fire it. Yeah. Uh,
1: your boy, Steve Beverly is taken off the 900 line and replaced by diamond Dallas page, uh, Beverly's Tuesday segment, according to Meltzer consistently drew the third most calls behind yours and Missy Hyatt's who of course you guys have TV time to plug it on the weekend shows. Yeah. Uh, but Beverly was doing third best without any television push, which says something since he beat out both sting and Lex Luger almost every week. And they were the two top faces in the promotion. Yeah. Apparently the company only wants its own people on the hotline. We haven't spent a lot of time talking about Steve Beverly. Uh, it's almost a forgotten name and that's a shame. Of course, we all know that Dave Meltzer writes the observer. We know that Wade Keller writes the torch, but way back when Steve Beverly wrote Matt watch, uh, what do you think of Matt Watch and Steve Beverly?
0: Well, Steve's approach was from a television perspective. He was the television executive. He was a news anchor, a lifelong fan, had made some inroads with some different people within the business. Uh, I always had a, a good rapport with Steve Beverly and I enjoyed his newsletter because it wasn't just about gossip and innuendo, rumor and innuendo. Uh, it wasn't about that. It was about, you know, the television business and how pro wrestling was fitting into the television business. So I thought Steve did a good job. He, he made a, uh, he created a little niche for himself or niche, whatever you say, Nietzsche. uh, so anyway, he, but I, I, I never thought Steve was a bad guy whatsoever, ever, and it wasn't my decision. I would never take him off the hotline. And I don't know that those people that made that decision actually looked at, he was a dirt sheet guy, Conrad. That's what, that's what the fuck they're going to say in the, com- the booking committee or anybody li- listening. Oh, he's one of those dirt sheet guys. Well, unless you reviewed re- re- that you just took that for gospel. Well, we can't have a dirt sheet governor air. Yeah. We got to get him off. Wait a minute. Did you, you know how much he, how much revenue he generates? Well, I didn't check on that. Well, why wouldn't you check on that? That's what we're doing this for, for money. So, uh, I thought Steve did a good job really all, all along. Uh, consistently good, educated. He never had vendettas. He wasn't a big gossip monger uh, as much as some of the other guys that built their business on gossip and innuendo and rumor. Uh, so, you know, it, uh, but I, I always liked Steve. I thought he did a good job.
1: Cable TV ratings are going to show uh, an all time low for May the 9th to May the 11th. Uh, Primetime wrestling is a, a dreadful 2.1. Which was still better than saturday night which was a 2.0 main event did a 1.9 all american a 1.8 power hour a 1.8 but it feels like across the board these are just record lows um i know that it's been said a lot over the years that well you know wrestling cyclical do you buy into that jim that wrestling cyclical
0: i think it probably is like you know i think it goes in cycles uh but I don't. I think sometimes it's overstated. That's sometimes the crutch or the excuse given uh, for fail uh, failed uh, creative. It's cyclical. Well, you know, come back around. And and, and uh, wrestling is hard to kill. Thank God, because Lord knows in WCW in this period of time we're talking about, we did sure try. It seemed like, uh, but it was a, uh, yeah. It, it's it's cyclical to some degree, Conrad. No doubt about that. But it shouldn't be the excuse that you use for failure.
1: Well, Jim, we're finally here. I can't believe it. We're going to be talking about war games. It went down May 17th, 1992, in Jacksonville, Florida. You ever been to Jacksonville?
0: I have, and I'm here right now.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, that was uh, how ironic is that? We're doing a show uh, about this amazing match that happened at the, at the, here in Jacksonville. I've been back to that arena several times, uh, not only just for wrestling, I was there for the USC here.
1: Not too weeks long ago. ago, yeah,
0: yeah, that was cool. Uh, great hospitality by Dana White and his team. It's amazing you find how many wrestling fans there are, Conrad, when they are able to uh, admit such without feeling embarrassed. And somewhere down the way, pro wrestling will get to that level to where when you say, "Oh yeah, I work in wrestling," or "I'm a fan," or whatever, you won't you won't feel so uh, less than. So I, I've I've enjoyed that, but yeah, Jacksonville was. That was Don Curtis, one of the great, uh, old timers, friend of Eddie Graham, great tag team wrestler with Mark Lewin back in the day. Uh, he and his wife, Dottie ran, uh, uh, Jacksonville, it was a weekly town for Florida championship wrestling. So it had a great his- history, and heritage. And, uh, it was always known as kind of a soft market. Uh, but well, that night uh, with that war games, so it, it wasn't soft at all. It was blue chew hard. <laughs>
1: Well, this is, uh, going to be quite the turnaround for this show. The undercard was well, less than awesome. We're about to break it down, but here's what Dave had to say. It was a good show, but it sure didn't look like it was going to be until the last three matches. The first half of the show started out fair. There were matches with no special angles or television buildup while the guys were working harder than usual. None of the matches were anything special. By the fifth match in a row, like this out came super invader and Todd champion in an unscheduled match, which was really bad. Then Richard Morton and big Josh came out for another unscheduled match. And it looked like a thumbs down all the way. And it almost felt as bad as that 1991 great American bash to make matters worse. It makes the company look disorganized when it has a lineup on the pregame show of an undercard that is almost totally changed once the show begins. So let's take a timeout right there, Jim, when you're trying to fill a card that's already on pay-per-view and you're running a lot of unscheduled matches, is this just lack of planning on organization is all of this changing because Watts just got there. What do you remember?
0: I think a lot of it just cause bill got there and did like what he saw. Yeah. He wanted his own touch on. He wanted to run his own plays. You're going to play. I'm going to play my quarterback. We're going to run my offense. Here's where we are. And the only thing he could positively affect to any significant degree, Conrad was that last match. and uh, he, he made sure that last match was going to deliver everything that we had promised and that he had promised. So, uh, but for Cal- for it to be Cowboys first main event on pay-per-view that he was in charge of, uh, I thought we did uh, a hell of a job that war games is extraordinary. And, uh, and the guys you can tell the guys were motivated, uh, they were working harder. And Cowboy kind of brought that out into everybody. He, he was a, you know, I, I just, I thought that was a success, but, uh, I think he's just, just getting there and he's discovering new talents. That he was not familiar with again. Like you said earlier, he hadn't been in wrestling since 87. And I can promise you that Cowboy didn't watch weekly television wrestling. So, uh, and I don't know why it didn't like the presentation. I don't know, but he was not a weekly consumer of the product.
1: Meltzer would say wrestle war 92, which drew about 6,000 fans out of an 8,000 capacity to the Jacksonville Coliseum had a live gate of 72,000, which indicates a paid attendance of about 5,000. The preliminary buy rate figures look extremely low, probably the lowest ever for a WCW pay-per-view event. This isn't surprising since the the card was so poorly organized beforehand and only one match was well-promoted. So we've sort of addressed the disorganization and just the, the company and transition, but let's jump into it. You're on the call with Jesse Ventura once again, like the last WCW pay-per-view. Do you think if, if you and Jesse had got to do one of the weekly TV shows together as you guys could have jailed a lot better instead of just working together, it feels like once every couple of months.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, obviously the more opportunities you had to work together the more opportunities you had to build chemistry and the all important timing. You know, I knew my role. I knew I was there to make sure Jesse got his time in and I had no problem with that. I mean, he's, he's a hell of an announcer, Uh, and, but I wish we had more opportunities to work and refine our, our, our act, uh, except as for sporadically as we did. But I enjoyed working with, with Jesse. I've made comments before that, uh. I didn't enjoy it. And I was telling the truth at that time, but upon further review, the older you get, the more mature you try to come, you see that it wasn't always Jesse, it was my attitude sometimes because he was making so much more money than I, and I'm working down near every day of the week, without any exaggeration, and we're seeing Jesse once every few weeks or whatever. And, and of course the word got out what he was earning. That's a telephone, telegraph, tell a wrestler and, uh, it was disturbing for me because I thought I'd paid my dues and I should be making it at least comparable to what he was making, but uh, that was not the case. But in any event, I've apologized to Jesse over the years. He's accepted it, uh, and I'm glad he has. Uh, I, I saw where he, he made an appearance a week or so ago at a fan convention up in the Northeast, which was great to see. I'm sure it did well. Uh, and I, as a matter of fact, Conrad, you know we're talking about just wrestling in general. What what does JR do on the weekend? Well this weekend, uh other than going to Ace Hardware buying me a new plunger because my goddamn toilet stopped up. Boy, I hate to be I wish Jan was here. (laughs) Okay, I'm not kidding. She would not let we would have had a good plunger. OJR didn't have a good plunger. I bought the heavy duty sum of bitch you could get. It looked like a piece of farm equipment. Uh but it worked. But I watched this weekend, I watched the Hall of Fame induction ceremony hosted by Mean Gene uh, in New York City before WrestleMania 20. Uh, and Heenan went in, which I, I cried this weekend, I sitting in my couch like a big old fat kid crying because I listened to Bobby. And then Bobby said at the very end, the only thing that's missing is Monsoon. Mm. I cried again. And it's just hard to say you're a 70-year-old guy is still crying about pro wrestling. Uh, but it was great. Jesse got inducted. He was, he did a real good job. Uh, and so I watched that whole presentation and I can tell you this man, nobody does that role or ever will ever do that role better than Mean G he was absolutely phenomenal. And, uh, my drinking buddy, I miss him. I miss the hell out of him too, man. I can tell you that. So that's how I spent my weekend. Other than my, I bought the super plunger and, uh, that might be a t-shirt. JR Super Plunger Inc. Uh,
1: Super Plunger, come on.
0: <laughs> so, but I don't even know where I was. I'm wandering around here, but uh, I, I, that's how I spent my weekend. I, still consuming pro wrestling and things that moved me and things. That was an emotional show for me. And I was sitting on the di- dais. I was sitting up there by, uh, who the hell? I was sitting by Big Show. I, I was kind of heading in the shadows. Uh, but it was a, it was an interesting, interesting. Opportunity to watch more wrestling in a different format, and I grew to love and Gene even more after this weekend because he was so good at what he did, and he, he had Heenan. My God, if you haven't heard Heenan's acceptance speech in the Hall of Fame, you're 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 missing out on some amazing entertainment and information. So,
1: anyway, where were we? Well, you mentioned T-shirts a minute ago. I want to remind everybody: if you go over to AdFreeCares.com. You'll see that Jim and I have all of our shirts there with a bunch of our other podcast buddies. And literally we have the most affordable shirts around, uh, they're going to be 1799, which is cheaper than I think anything else. You'll see at pro wrestling tees maybe, but here's the difference. 100% of the proceeds, every nickel goes directly to St. Jude's. Nothing goes to Jim's house. Nothing goes to my house. 100% of the profit. Every nickel goes directly to St. Jude's so you can support one of your favorite podcasts and sort of spread the word and get the word out there about your favorite podcast. But at the same time, help some kids who really need our help.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so it's a, there's, there's, no, there's no gray area here. It's a great price. It's really a cool product. Uh, and you know, I, I, this Eagles shirt, Raphael Morphy got me this Eagle shirt from a show. He went to recently in long Island, I think. Uh, but I can promise you this shirt did cost 17 bucks. Probably more than the $40 range is what I'm guessing. So it's a great price, even better cause. I have, I cannot turn the TV off when I see a St. Jude's commercial. I feel like I'm being disrespectful. And, uh, so I'm trying to run our, both on the same page here. We like helping kids. We like helping families. And so that's where we are here. So check it out, folks, you know, buy yourself a cool shirt and, uh, you know all these TV opportunities that you have with, that I'm working on. I love to see those shirts. It's a, it's cool. It's good for one's ego and it's good for the cause.
1: So let's jump into the show here. the The first match is the Freebirds winning the U.S. Tag Team Titles from Greg Valentine and the Tailor Made Man in 15 minutes and 59 seconds. Meltzer would say, if I was running the company, I'd drop these useless belts. How special can the belts be if you've got guys like this in the title picture? The guys all worked hard, but the only one of the four who still had it in the ring is Taylor and his credibility has been totally destroyed execution and timing. Wasn't the greatest, but it had a good storyline with all the apparent finishes and saves by partners. This built up on the finale where Garvin had Taylor hooked for the DDT. Valentine came out for yet another save, but Garvin ducked down and backdropped him. Hayes cut off Valentine while Garvin hit the DDT on Taylor for the pin. star in three quarters. Uh, okay, so Precious is back. It's the Freebirds, our boy Dude, Dude, Dute. Uh, Greg Valentine, <laughs> Terry Taylor. I mean, you got some talented folks in here, but man, I don't know that I'd spend almost 20 minutes on this to start the show.
0: Yeah, a little long, probably a little long. Uh, but as we would find out, it was probably one of the better matches on the show, you know, quite frankly. Uh a lot of star power. But fans didn't care. Right. There's no momentum going into it. The title is cold or nice, and that's a formula that just could not be overcome.
1: Let's, uh, let's also mention the next match has two more really talented performers, Johnny B bad and Tracy Smothers. Johnny's going to get the win in six minutes and 59 seconds. Meltzer would say, although it was hard for these two to get heat, let alone maintain it. Smothers did a good job in carrying the match. There were some nice moves, particularly Smothers doing a flying elbow drive off the top rope. And bad's impressive sunset flip off the top rope, bad one with a left hook star in three quarters, man. I miss Tracy Smothers. What a, what a talented individual yeah. he was. He could make anyone look good, but we're off to a, an interesting card. It's loaded with names, loaded with talent, but it just doesn't feel like the matches are clicking.
0: Well, there was no buildup. Yeah. That's your deal. That's a, that's a, that's a simple solution to this conundrum. Uh, it was just, nobody was hot. There was no momentum rolling into this show. It was just cold as hell. And you got to give the talent the credit for going out and trying to work, going out and trying to do the best they can. But, uh, nobody was over. And there was, like I said, there was no great anticipation for a specific match other than the last one.
1: So Scotty Flamingo's out next, and he's going to pin Marcus Bagwell in seven minutes and eight seconds by reversing a rolling reverse cradle and holding the trunks. Meltzer would say they did a smart opening where they slapped each other and went back and forth like a street fight. Because of Flamingo's lack of size, he's going to need a lot of interview time and strong angles to get himself over because he can't make it on sheer physical presence alone. Fortunately, he's a good interview. He's also different from most younger wrestlers, and that he doesn't have the spectacular offensive moves, but does have good heel psychology. In most other newcomers, it's the other way around. Star and a half here. Of course, we're talking about Scotty Flamingo. That's the future Raven. Did you think his size was holding him back here in WCW?
0: Not really. I didn't. I thought you know if you can look, I because uh, I I met Dick the Bruiser, and he wasn't a porn star. Uh, I met, uh, Dick, the bruiser and he's five, eight, you know, I, I, when I met Ric Flair for the first time, I thought he was probably six, two or six, three. He wasn't, he isn't no. he never was never will be. Uh, so no, I didn't think so. I didn't think to me, that's an excuse. Uh, I understand Dave's logic and can't tell you that I disagree totally with it, but, uh, it's an excuse. If you're good enough at what you do, and your skill set is where it should be. Uh, how, how tall you are. I mean, uh, my God, I did an interview the other day, uh, uh, for a and E on Ray Mysterio, he's five, three folks. He was five, three yesterday. I suspect he's probably gonna be five, three tomorrow. Uh, so size cannot, it can be used as an excuse, but it can never be the reason that somebody didn't get over in my, in my humble opinion.
1: So, Ron Simmons is going to pin Mr. Hughes here in five minutes and 26 seconds with a shoulder block. It was scheduled as a tag match with Junkyard Dog and Cactus Jack as respective partners, but Jack leaves the ring early and goes to the back. So when Dog and Simmons came out, Jack comes back and attacks Dog, and they're brawling on the floor. It climax with Jack dropping the elbow off the ramp onto Dog, who was on the floor. Dog is then helped out, and it turns into a singles match. The match was neither bad nor good with the only thing memorable being cactus, Jack screeching outside of the ring and Jesse Ventura's humor. Jack interfered once or twice. Uh, and after the match, Simmons nailed him with a tackle as well, star and a half. So a lot of moving parts here. Uh, I know we all think the world of, of cactus, Jack and Ron Simmons. And I know you saw junkyard dog draw a ton of money for bill Watts. So no. And Mr. Hughes, in my opinion, has always been criminally underrated. But something about this, it's just not gelling all that awesome, but the guys are still working hard.
0: They're working hard again, but they, they come in cold, right? Well, he he came in hot. No, he didn't. None (laughs) of them did. They weren't ready. Uh, they had no, there was no buildup baby. Uh, and that's hard. But, uh, again, uh, I try to look at the silver lining and a lot of things in life in general, especially after the last year or so. Uh, just be blessed to be alive and cancer-free. Uh, it's a big deal to me and I don't mind speaking on it. Uh, but you know, it's just, it was sad. We had all, they're all good talents and you hit it around the head, all good guys, but it was just cold and the fans had no anticipation for that match. They didn't care. And it's just hard to gather people in when there's no momentum. It's just a wrestling match. And that's not good enough, especially for pay-per-view
1: super invaders out next. He's going to pin Todd champion in five minutes and 27 seconds. This was an unadvertised addition to the show. Meltzer would say, well, Ventura and Ross were good, but it would have been better if they were just doing banter over a screen with a test pattern. This is almost the ultimate dream match, the worst of the WWF against the worst of WCW, and it lived up to everything it promised. I can see the idea of wanting to put Invader on a big show to get him a win, but they should have at least been more careful about who to pick as a jobber. Invader won with a messed up hot shot, hardly the one messed up move of the match and a powerbomb. The show up to this point was moving along at a lethargic pace, and this match was a nosedive. Negative star and a half. Man, we love Hercules uh, gone too soon. Todd Champion, pretty polarizing guy, as I understand it. But this match, man, this is, a, as a friend of ours might say, bowling shoe ugly.
0: Yeah, I've heard that term. Uh,
1: Jim, it looks like Meltzer's just so down on this. Do you think Todd Champion was the worst of the worst? I mean, that's pretty hard.
0: I don't know if he's the worst of the worst, but he wasn't ready for pay per view. Right, he had a, he had a good look, you know. I, I I don't remember enough about him to say I ever had a bad experience with the dude. Yeah, but it just it was just a guy at that point, and uh, and the cowboy super invader uh, idea uh, obviously was tepid
1: at best so number six the sixth match of the night big josh pinning richard morton now morton was a last minute substitution for diamond stud scott hall who quit the promotion that day after asking for and getting turned down in his quest for a guaranteed contract the new contract he was given reportedly for 300 dollars a night with no guarantee as to the number of dates hall was being groomed for a program with dustin rhodes and possibly to be Larry Zbyszko's replacement in the dangerous Alliance. So before we talk about the match, I do want to talk about this Scott hall. Think about that. Now we're going to give you $300 a night, but we can't tell you how often we can give it to you, take it or leave it. He quits and we know he winds up going to work for Vince becomes razor. Ramon comes back for a huge contract sets the wrestling world on fire with the NWO and wrestling is never the same. But man, letting a guy like that with that talent walk. Meanwhile, you've seen some of the other names we've had on this show. I don't necessarily get it. What say you?
0: Uh, well, there's, there's a lot of versions of Scott Hall, a lot of versions. If we're going to compare Scott Hall to the success he had as Razor Ramon and in this situation, then obviously it's a no brainer. I say that, uh, WCW didn't want to keep Scott Hall. And the best way to get rid of him is make him a ridiculous contract offer that he's going to walk away from. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think that's where that is. Uh, and so, uh, if WCW Cowboys company, et cetera, et cetera, had wanted to keep Scott, they would have, they didn't want him on the roster for whatever reasons. And again, Scott had, uh, did not, had not done himself a lot of favors over course of time, being a little bit of a, he's so damn smart being kind of a dressing room lawyer and all those things, uh, that you could, you could categorize it. Uh, but it, the bottom line is to me is that the WCW did not want to keep Scott Hall, which, which is why they've made such an insulting and driving me away offer $300 a night. You don't know how many nights you're going to work. Well, that's just, that's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. I don't how know
0: how, how you do you, how do you even look yourself in the mirror with an offer like that? It's just tell the guy, hey, look. We don't believe now we have anything for you. We we wish you the best. Is there anything we could do for you on the way out? We will, but, uh, we're off your train and you're off our track and that's where we left it.
1: Well, as a reminder, he winds up doing, uh, a tryout at TV tapings in Cincinnati the very next day with the WWF so. Don't cry for me. Argentina, old Scott hall is going to be fine. Yeah. Anyway, by, uh, big Josh beats Richard Morton, who again is substituting for diamond stud in seven course, minutes and 26 seconds. Big
0: Josh was Matt Bourne. Yes. And that was dusty's, uh, idea. Uh, and I, and of course, Matt Bourne had a great run as Doink. Matt Bourne was a hell of a hand. Yes. Just a hell of a hand. Uh, but I don't know that big Josh was his calling quite frankly.
1: I don't think and, anybody's calling.
0: Yeah. And then of course it got, to, Hey, I remember him coming into the ring with that, the bear, uh, his had a and the bear taking a big shit. The bear, like,
1: the bear pissed the whole way down the ramp. Oh,
0: is that what he pissed? I knew he had some bowel movement. Yeah. Uh, so whatever. Uh, but it, you know, don't work with animals or children as the old saying goes, uh, and, and Ricky courses, Ricky Morton, uh, that, well, why why we change it to Richard Morton? For change sake, Conrad for fucking change sake, you got one of the greatest baby faces to ever wrestle in Ricky Morton. And we've got to believe we're going to change it for what reason for change sake. And I say, for God's sakes, what are we thinking?
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's hard to get behind that creative, um, Meltzer would say they both worked a solid style, but nobody cared. Uh, All right. Josh won with the Northern exposure, which is a butt drop. It got a one star rating here. Uh, next up match number seven. And this one's actually going to be pretty damn good. Here we go. Brian Pillman is going to pin Tom Zink in 15 minutes and 29 seconds to retain the WCW light heavyweight title. Meltzer would say Zink had new ring music, even less catchy than his previous music, it started slow, but built into a great match. Lots of reversing of spots and unique twists of exciting moves. Very Japanese style with all the near falls, some of which look like the finish. It was another success for the argument that today's fans will accept and react to a match without a heel. If the action and psychology are there, whether you can put it on top and have it sell tickets, may be a different story, but as a mid card change of pace, these pillman title matches against faces like zinc Liger and Armstrong have been a major success. One thing this group needs to do. If it wants to work serious style matches, such as this on a regular basis is to focus on getting a wide variety of submission moves over. It'll give the wrestlers a, a wider repertoire of things they can do to get heat and help the fans better understand the psychology. of The early part of the match zinc was pinned after missing a, a drop kick off the top rope and after several near falls, a few of which looked like the real finish three and three quarter stars. So this is the highest rated match so far on the show by a fucking country mile. Yep, And I don't know that anybody would have thought, you know, Hey, Tom Zink was going to pull that out, but that tells us more about Brian Pillman than anything, right?
0: Absolutely. More than, more than anything. Uh, you know, Brian never got the credit that I think he deserved. You know, I, I had a great conversation about Brian Pillman, uh, when, uh, our team with AEW was in, uh, Baltimore because coach Harbaugh came to the event, the head coach of the Ravens, uh, John Harbaugh. And he was Brian's roommate at Miami of Ohio. There are teammates on the football team. And they are roommates. And so, uh, uh, I had such an enjoyable and heartwarming conversation about Brian with coach Harbaugh, who I found out was a hell of a wrestling fan, big time wrestling fan. I and mean, he was not just a guy that's passing through to get a, a cameo. He was a fan. And, uh, so I, I really enjoyed that opportunity to talk about Brian always do, but Brian's was finally starting to maybe get close to getting the credit that he deserved. Uh, and the money that he thought he earned and he uh, was, was, was had coming to him, but, uh, Brian Pillman was one of the great, uh, cruiserweights of all time. In my view,
1: it, it really is a, a precursor to the cruiserweight division here, but man, these guys could really go. They had great chemistry together. It's not all Lucha high spots and dives, but really good wrestling, building to these hot moves, Brian Pillman, just so far ahead of his time, it's not even funny. Go out of your way to see some of his older stuff, just a yeah. tremendous talent.
0: Please do It's a, you'll, you'll have fun with it. You'll, you'll, uh, you'll start missing him as much as I do. Just about every day.
1: Next up boy, something else that you wouldn't have seen coming based on the, the way these first six matches went. And this is special Rick and Scott Steiner, uh, are going to be And boy, you got to forgive me here. Uh, Takayuki Iazuka, I screwed that up and Tatsumi Fujinami in 18 minutes and 16 seconds to become the number one contenders for the IWGP tag team titles. This was one hell of a match. Uh, of course the Japanese folks are going to be booed in a major way. Uh, just because, well, that's just what happened back then. If you were not from America, then you were a heel back then. Uh, Meltzer says it was almost like an extended squash match. With the continuing mention of the Steiners challenging for the IWGP tag titles, they needed to mention who the champions are, which is bam, bam, Bigelow and big van Vader, or not mention the belts at all. Uh, Rick is going to get the pin with a belly to belly superplex. And even though Fujinami is not the wrestler he once was, and isn't well-known in this country, he is a legitimate legend in this business. And it was almost like the Steiners were treating him with little better, uh, than just another jobber. <laughs> three and three quarter stars, man, this is, uh, this is a match. You should go out of your way to see Meltzer called it something of a massacre, brutal, maybe too brutal. And he says that, uh, these guys' faces were destroyed. No word on how serious, uh, he was hurt other than there was fear. He had a few broken bones and his eye was swollen completely shut. As it turns out, there were no broken bones, but his face was very puffy the next day man, I don't think these guys got the memo The Steiners came for a fight.
0: Yeah, they were, they were protecting their turf. Yes. And they also knew what was coming down the road. Conrad, these two guys named Terry Gordy and Dr. Desti Williams. Yes. And they were thinking about that. They knew they were preparing for battle and, uh, the, the battle started early and, and, uh, the two Japanese lads did get the memo. It was a hell of a match. Uh, but it just shows the, the awesomeness of the Steiners, when they were motivated to go, they were un, unequaled in my, in my opinion, athletic, physical, tough, unyielding, fearless, they had it all. And, and, uh, so I, I, that, that we needed that match to deliver at that point in time of the night. And it did.
1: I realize that we've been really critical of this show so far, but I want to strongly encourage everyone and go watch these last three matches. Hillman and Zinc, fantastic. Three and three quarter stars. The Steiner brothers here, man, go out of your way to see this. These guys beat the living shit out of each other. Three and three quarter stars. And now we get to the main event. And this is arguably the best war games there ever was. It gets a five star rating in The Observer. As a reminder, it's Sting Squadron taking on the Dangerous Alliance. We can't heap enough praise on the Dangerous Alliance. One more time. That's Rick Rude, Arn Anderson, Bobby Eaton, Larry Zabisco, and Steve Austin. All on the same freaking team. Yeah. And they're going to be taking on Sting, Nikita Koloff, Ricky Steamboat, Barry Windham, and Dustin Rhodes. You have got arguably the greatest set of in ring talent we've ever had in a War Games. And Ric Flair is not anywhere in sight. Uh, this is a special, and I mean special War Games. Uh, Meltzer would have this to say Gary Capetta did a super job in making the announcement of the rules in a tone of voice that built great tension into the match. They should have been going through those rules in as much detail on all the TV tapings leading to this thing. Wyndham and Austin started with Austin juicing early. Wyndham even bit the cut. Rude came in, followed by Steamboat, and the match never slowed down for a second. Anderson and Rhodes followed, then Zabisco. And at this point, Medusa climbed the cage and dropped the phone into the ring, and Anderson used it to crack Rhodes in the head, and he did a juice job that would have made his father proud. Anderson and Wyndham also wound up bleeding and there was so much action back and forth. You couldn't even describe it other than Austin Anderson Rhodes, and steamboat in particular were nothing short of fantastic, which isn't meant as a slight on the other six. The only ones who weren't wrestling on a plane well above earth were Koloff, which was fine. And Zabisco whose role wasn't to be wrestling, but to build heat for the turn, which he did fine. And Eaton, who really had no business being in there in the first place, because he was hurt so badly. Sting came in and showed no signs of being injured. Eaton, who suffered a blown out shoulder at the TV tapings, the prior Monday, tried to stay out of action as much as possible, but still being involved in the finish. Koloff was the last man. And isn't that perfect planning for the last several minutes. Sabisco was undoing the top rope in one of the rings to the, to get the metal thing that holds the turnbuckle to the post. that's actually called the turnbuckle he finally undid it and swung it like a baseball bat at sting sting of course moved and it hit Eaton in the bad shoulder and sting made him submit to an arm lock after the match sabisco argued with all the remaining members of the alliance and they teased the breakup but it hasn't materialized yet definite match of the year candidate five stars these last these last three matches are incredible but You know, they often say in life, it's not how you start, but how you finish boy. Everybody went home happy in Jacksonville after this one. Didn't they?
0: I believe they did. I, I, if you're a wrestling fan, how could you not enjoy the the momentum that was built over those last three matches that you mentioned, you know, Brian and zinc, uh, it seemed like Brian always got the best out of Tom zinc. And I think Brian's and Brian was a little intimidating. Uh, and he, they, you knew when you were going to work with him, he was going to bring his best stuff. And if he had to, he would beat the shit out of you. And so then you got that, and you got the Steiners going into monster mode against uh, uh, Fujinami and company. But uh, golly, this last match—it it followed everything, and it it trumped everything. So it was a it was a hell of a way to end the show, I think, uh, because we didn't have such an auspicious start, not a lot of momentum, and a lot of cold matches. So, uh, I admire that those guys were able to, they were able to regather the crowd and, and get the crowd focused back on what we were doing. And so the crowd could react accordingly. And so I, I, I just thought those guys did a terrific job. It, it far exceeded my expectations. And I don't know why I say that because when you look at the, the list of guys in that board games match, Conrad, my God, it's a hall of fame. It's a who's who. Yeah. Uh, so to not have a great one would be a head scratcher, but it was a great one and no, no head scratching was done.
1: It's a fantastic show, uh, especially the last three matches, but this last match is just unbelievable. And it's amazing to me that as good as it was after this match, the dangerous Alliance sort of just goes their separate ways. And Arn said in the past it was some of the incompetent booking of WCW that really hurt the potential of the dangerous alliance. But man, if they would have gotten behind this thing and stuck with it, what was the ceiling for that group?
0: Oh, uh, for the group, it was limitless. But I think what Cowboys probably looking at is that we got too many great talents involved in one entity. Yeah. And we don't have the we don't have the uh depth that we ideally would like to have. So we need to bust these guys up and make sure that we're getting the mileage out of, them. you know, it it was easy to see that stone cold. Steve Austin was going to be a major star. You want him basically not, I don't want to say hidden, but do you want him immersed into this group or do you want Austin to have the opportunity to get over as stone cold or as Steve Austin stunning Steve as it were. So, uh, I think that was part of the reason for it, but was there still tread on the tire for the dangerous Alliance? God. Yeah. But I, if I had to guess on why it was short-lived, that would be my assumption.
1: It's you, is this the, the greatest war games of all time? Where does this rank for you? I mean, obviously everybody remembers the first one and, and in a lot yeah. of ways, it's always hard to, to have a sequel beat the original, but man, this has got to be up there.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's in the debate is the best war games ever. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh. You can't make the, uh, you, you can't argue the fact that it was as good as we, any we ever had uh, because of looking back at the card, looking back at what they were presented momentum wise, uh, those guys killed it. So I would say that I don't know that it was the very best war games, but if it wasn't, I don't know which one was. That's how good it was. I'm uh, like you, Conrad. The first one, was the first one I ever saw. I thought it was just an amazing concept and a great spectacle. And, uh, it was really cool, but, uh, it was really amazing. It's amazing. Not, I was so honored to be there to call it. It was, it was a cool match and going back and look at all the guys in it. and how they performed the success some of them had. You can't be shocked because a lot of us that believed in certain talents were at, were actually guessed right, shall we say.
1: The wrestling observer readers gave this a thumbs up with 72% thumbs up. And really it's the last three matches that made it. I mean, the undercard is just the drizzling shits. I believe is the wrestling term, but I've heard that these last three are unbelievable Meltzer would report the preliminary buy rate uh, report is that Russell awarded a 0.6 buy rate, which will be the lowest of all time from any major pay-per-view show from either of the two groups, the super brawl show on February 29th which did depending upon who you choose to believe anywhere from a 0.6 to a 1.0 was priced at $24.95. Mm-hmm. So part of the blame for that show, not doing as many buys as the previous WCW events could be blamed on the price. WrestleWar war was back down to 1995, but there were even fewer buys than before. So there can be no excuse other than the interest in this product is at an all time low. Even though, based on the replies to our poll, which has traditionally been between 400 to 550 responses, the last major event like WrestleMania topped 600 responses. But that's for clashes and pay-per-views. Even amongst the hardcores who are being counted on to be automatic buys, they decided decided to skip this show since the vast majority of fans don't have any idea about many major shows in such a short time. That can't be used in the factor of today's buy rate either. Although it certainly could be a factor by the time the bash rolls around. If those figures are correct, it would indicate a $2.2 million gross. So as good of a show as this is as great of a main event as this is, man, it's just such a shame that this is perhaps the least purchased pay-per-view in history up to this point.
0: I hated this to see those numbers, uh, after a lot of these shows, because it became disheartening. Well, this got one star. This got two stars. This is this a, uh, a dud. All these things. You, you get tired of hearing that shit. So you say, well, I'll do something about it. We tried. We were all trying to do something about it, for God's sakes. You know, you, you work your ass off. You're babysitting these guys that are high maintenance, oftentimes. You're doing everything you can to get everybody motivated in the right spot. But look, the brand was dead. Just to be honest about it. The WCW brand at that point in time was dead. And knowing Cowboy Bill Watts as well as I do, he was probably happy that it was because he had only one way to go, up. That's true. So uh it was just it was just totally disheartening. And you want to go into a show where you could be motivated, excited, uh, as a storyteller, as the voice of that brand and all that stuff. But goddamn, man, it was disheartening as heck when you find figure out that, you know, we didn't deliver, or we delivered creatively in that one main event of those last three. I agree with you on that. Go back and watch them; they're excellent. But overall, the brand was dead with no momentum and no reason to watch. Nothing was red hot that I couldn't miss uh, at all. There's just, and then you you got to go back to work. You're doing weekly television. So, uh, it was just hard to to live through that Conrad cause a lot of us still gave it a lot of shits about the wrestling business and, uh, was in it for more than just the payday payday was important. Oh yeah. But come on, man, how, how much barbecue can a guy eat?
1: Well, we're going to find out eventually. I'm sure, <laughs>
0: uh.
1: Brian has a few questions for us. One of which is a really good one. Tony Schiavone said he wishes war games matches would have ended with a pinfall rather than having someone submit. I, I think the thinking there, Jr is, you know, there's more drama in fans seeing the one to there's a, there's anticipation in that as opposed to the submission format. What do you think about Tony's belief on that?
0: No problem with it, uh, his prerogative, I can see it working. Uh, but the otherwise, otherwise it became very predictable. And I think anytime you can reduce the predictability of a contest, uh, you're winning. So I, I don't have a problem with Tony's uh, concept of that. And I don't know that any war games ever ended in a pinfall. Did it?
1: No, I don't remember that ever. So
0: why not change up and and, and still give them a legitimate finish and get somebody's finish over that's, that's one concept. But so I, I I'm on the same page there with Tony on that one.
1: Uh, middle kingdom wrestling wants to know what kind of advice can you give to play-by-play wrestling commentators about calling multi-man matches such as the war games match with more complicated rules and setup. how much explaining is too much explaining?
0: Well, that's a good question. Uh, good question for sure. Multi-individual matches are, are challenging because, uh, the play-by-play guy has got to hunt, hunt and select what he wants to, to talk about. What's, you know, you got all these moving parts, Which moving part. Do you document the most? Well, it depends on the talent. If it's one of your major stars, you want to make sure you document what they are doing. So they're not ignored, but at the, at the end of the day, you don't want to ignore anybody that's doing great stuff. But multi people matches are hard. They're really hard. Uh, I don't like, I don't like calling a battle Royal. For example, I think most battle Royals are a waste of time. Because tell us, you, you can just look at it, go back over time, and when you call as many of them as I have, you see some guys taking a night off. Yeah, they're throwing punches that wouldn't break an egg because they know they're not going over, and they're in a, they're in a cluster of guys in this battle oil thing. So, uh, it's hard. It's a good question. I'm really glad this guy asked this question. It's hard to to document and engage the audience with multiple stories ongoing at the same time. You got to hunt, you got to pick and choose. And, and the way you pick and choose is somebody do, is either doing something extraordinarily physical and spectacular, or they are a top star that you've got to protect.
1: Chase Lamar says, Jim, was there any rumblings that you can recall of wanting to split the Steiners up at this time? I've always heard rumors online that there was a push to make Scott a single star in the early to mid 90s before he eventually became Big Papa Pump.
0: Uh, Always, uh, you know, some chatter. Uh, I think a lot of that was because Scott was so hell bent on still going forward and it seemed like Ricky might've been slowing down a little bit as far as his interest, you know, he, he became a real estate guy and he family man and school board, all these type things. He had, he was, he was, he was diversifying and, uh, you know, that kid of his is in NXT. of a, going will be a stallion. He is a stallion. Uh, uh but he's so Ricky wanted to be a father and, and want to spend more time with his family and so forth. So there was always because of that element, well maybe Scotty should be a single. And there's no doubt in my mind that if Scott Steiner had been uh, anointed the champion, his matches with Flair or his rematches with Flair or whatever however you want to term it would have been extraordinary. Uh, I think you know well, Rick didn't like Scott, I don't know that. I don't have to be even remotely true. But I know one thing: they look good on a goddamn poster.
1: Isn't it crazy to think that this show we're reviewing happened five years before Braun Breaker was even born? Uh, yeah. Time is such a funny thing, you know. That that guy's now a top star with NXT. His dad's tearing it up here, and this show doesn't feel like it was thirty years ago to me. And hell, that kid wasn't even born for five more years. Time just flies, and and it's flown the day we're reaching the end of the show. Next week we'll be back talking about Judgment Day or two. It'll be our 20-year look back, uh, talking about the WWE rebranding itself. Undertaker versus Hulk Hogan in the main event for the WWE title. Uh Hogan not being able to uh, start Undertaker's motorcycle. Hogan getting dragged behind that motorcycle. Uh Jericho versus Triple H in a hell in a cell. Steve Austin's uh middling creative continues against the NWO. Big show's gonna turn heel again. Uh so will Rick Flair. Plus, we've got Claire and Hogan wrestling on uh, on Raw in a world title match in 02. Booker T is gonna join the New World Order. Uh, Eddie versus RVD. Randy Orton makes his debut. Mm-hmm. So much to talk about next Loaded. year for Judgment Day 02. And uh in the meantime, I know what I'm gonna be doing. It's grilling season, baby. You
0: damn right it is, brother.
1: This is gonna what, be a lot of fun this year, man. What you yeah.
0: got to do when the barbecue sauce runs all over you. Uh yeah, man. I love the, this time of the year. I, this is what I miss most about being, not being in Oklahoma. Not that they don't have good barbecue in Florida, but I, here in my place where I live, it's against the house rules to have a grill, uh, which I didn't know until I bought this joint. Uh, probably wouldn't have kept me from buying it, but it might have slowed down the process. <laughs> but, but in Oklahoma, I got a I got a huge grill, an outdoor kitchen. I've, I've had that online time, uh, from time to time. It's just a great opportunity to have your friends over, have your family over, have your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever it may be. Uh, it's just a great opportunity to, to, to enjoy each other. And so I'm a big, uh, lover of that. And every day I'm home in Oklahoma, which is going to become more frequently. Uh, I'm going to grill. I grill breakfast out there, man i got cast iron skillets. I I can cook eggs. I can cook fried potatoes for breakfast, or I can cook bacon or whatever. I can do all these things on my grill. And I got that all-purpose seasoning that works on everything, makes everything better. Uh, So uh, still, people ask, what's your top seller? Well, JR's original barbecue sauce is our top seller. It's, It's followed closely behind by the jalapeno honey mustard, which has one gram of sugar, I think, in it and uh uh the all-purpose seasoning so it's it's there jr's barbecue.com well we're always open we always got deals you know, our my man stephen link who runs that site and, and manages that operation has been very very sick uh he had a case of uh pneumonia that got real bad he was hospitalized for several days Damn. so he's back at he's back at it and uh we've had to really join our team and tighten up to We're fulfilling all the orders, doing the best we can. And uh, business is good. Thank God. Blessed for that and grateful. So jrsbbq.com, great place for gifts. Father's Day is coming up. You know, just, you don't need a, you don't need an occasion. You just need an appetite. And man, we can take care of you if you got an appetite.
1: Check it out. If you haven't already JR's BBQ.com. There's something for everybody. And as a friend of mine says, it costs nothing to look, <laughs> uh, same thing is true over at adfreeshows.com, where you get all of our shows early and ad free, and you get a special piece of bonus content every single month from Jim and well, all of our other hosts, uh, we're having a lot of fun over there. We've even dug up some of Jim's old radio shows from Atlanta and man, that's just a treasure trove of nostalgia. If you're listening to this and you love the old school and. Just remember the way wrestling made you feel back when you were a kid. You're going to yep. love adfreeshows.com. So I encourage you to check it out and be sure to check out Jim each and every Wednesday. Dynamite, here we go. Man, you're still doing your thing, still the voice of wrestling. I can't wait for Wednesday. I love it,
0: Life Conrad. I'm very blessed. I'm healthy enough and uh, I've overcome. You know, I, I took my 22nd uh, radiation treatment in the morning here in Jacksonville. All the treatments were here in Jacksonville. And that night we had a, our show at Daly's place and I had made it a personal challenge from Jr to Jr that I'm going to be getting that, that last treatment. I'm going to come home and I'm going to shower and I'll get my fat ass to work. And I was on the air that night because I will myself to that because I knew that it was going to take a certain amount of health and healing and good luck, uh, for all that to work together. And that's how much I love the business. Was I in good shape that night? Should I was 30 days? I came back 30 days early because I didn't want to miss anymore. And, uh, so that's how I look at that deal. I, my, my opportunities for AEW Tony Khan and all that with all the guys there. Uh, I'm very blessed to have that, uh, the situation in, in my lap. And as long as I can still do my work and not embarrass myself, uh, <laughs> I, I am, uh, I do that on my own. Well, enough, so I don't need to go on TV and do it but as long as I can deliver. Why not? Why not Conrad? What else am I going to do? This is my life. If you can, so all I'm doing is living my life and, uh, and I'm loving every damn minute of it. And I really appreciate everybody's support and patience with me over time. Sometimes I'm a little cranky. Uh, but you gotta understand I'm not, I'm never paying free anymore. And that's what's, the that's what's the, uh challenging you know, you don't don't take advantage or don't take for granted your health and being pain-free uh i've just uh i just i just I'm, I'm i don't know what to say about that other than i, I just have to deal with it and it's going to heal it's going to get better but at the end of the day i'm cancer free so is not that the bottom line yes i think it is
1: Noel said, Jim, we're glad to have you glad to have you guys with us each and every Thursday, tell your friends to hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it, be sure to check us out at uh, adfreeshows.com for everything early and ad-free, of course, get that sauce. It's a perfect gift or one that you're going to love and reorder over and over. But my favorite maybe is still that all-purpose seasoning. Can't recommend it enough. Go out of your way to check it out. It's good on everything. And, uh, we'll save the rest of this for next week, talking judgment day. Oh, two, what a big show. And Jim, I was at this one. I can't wait to relive this one with you 20 oh, years cool. later. We'll be back next week, right here on grill Jr with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross.
0: Thanks everybody for joining us. We appreciate your support. Don't forget to count your blessings. John brings his skewed sense of humor Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round Together,
1: it's those weekend golf guys They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Tylus and Callaway and no, 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 no. How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10 What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you can pay me more Jeff Smith right? teaches on a sliding scale <laughs> Those weekend golf guys, the podcast Part of the Believe Network Just
0: search BLEAV on YouTube or wherever you listen